So I got something new for us, something different. Okay. For the people, not for us, but it is kind of for us, too. Different. Not going to be our usual show. Okay. I'm intrigued. This is why I like, uh, well, it's Wednesday morning today. We used to do it on Tuesday mornings. Tuesdays with James. It's going to be a title of my autobiography. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Two old guys. Don't you mean one old guy, one middle-aged guy? So I've got a new change of pace for us today, Brando. Okay. Are you are you testing? It's me? about diving. It's about okay. diving, but it's, it's a little but bit it's different. about everything else. It's about religion and politics and sex, all wrapped into one. In a way, in a way, uh, you know what? What? In a way, you're right. This because what the, what this article talks about did start a bit of a religion of Here sorts. Here we go. That got us to where we are today with the diving religions that are out there and the diving politics that are out there. Because if there is one, there has to be two. Because you, now you need two sides. Well, of course. You, you need two sides of a coin. You can't have a one-sided coin, right? You need a yin-yang. And wherever there is politics and wherever there is religion, you know there's going to be sex. So you kind of hit it on the head. <laughs> Ooh la it's, la. It's got to be all Well, that. you know, isn't this life? Isn't this the, the adventure we call life? And we, uh, if you break down religion, politics, and sex, it all comes down to, you know, beliefs and behavior, which is basically life. Beliefs, behavior, experience, whatever. Come on. Okay, cut me, cut me <laughs> off. I'm only on cup 1.3. <laughs> hey, welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast, everybody. You're here You're with... Here with... <laughs> Go. Oh, it's okay. Okay. You're here with politics, religion, and sexy Brando. <laughs> and me just thinking I was going to talk about scuba diving, Jamesy. The, uh, yeah. The, but uh, no, there's always a philosophical view to everything. Life is scuba, scuba is life, Brando. I've heard it before. I, I try to live it, I, I try to uh, incorporate those. Those wise, heartfelt words into my I daily you, living. I think you coined it, didn't you coin it? I probably did. I think somebody 
you know, much more well-spoken and wise than myself probably coined that originally. But I do, I do stand on the shoulders of giants, I like to think, and uh, that's a good one. That's a good one to keep in the back of your mind all day long. It'll keep you on the straight and narrow. It'll keep you living the good life. What was your first regulator? The first one I ever breathed on or the first one I bought? Let's, let's, uh, let's do both. Okay, well, the first one I ever breathed on was uh, a European model. Uh, that was a Salvus over in Europe. A Salvus? Yeah, the SR300 Salvus Pro. Dang, yo. Love that regulator. I'm, I'm sure it's no big, fancy regulator, it's, uh, but whenever I see it, it conjures up memories of, you know, the, my first time underwater. That was really my first time in the ocean, period, and that was Mediterranean, and uh, I was in scuba gear <laughs> at the age of 20. Now, what was, what was the first one you ever bought? Um, I bought a Mare's MR, what was it, MR2? Was it MR2? Uh, yeah, it could have been the MR2. Yeah. Or I was bought, it the MR12-3? Uh, this would have been what, what year? This was 1988. Okay, yeah, so it was probably an MR12-3. I bought you it buy, at... Did you, you buy it new? You buy it used? I bought it new at, yeah. Don's, at Don's Dive Shop. Okay, yeah, so it would have most likely been an MR-12-3 because that shop was a Mare's yes. store at the time. Yeah. And they came from the, the Voigt lineage. Right. Like back in the, uh, the late 60s, 70s, you know, Don was a, was a Voigt guy. Yeah. But that was because his, his brother that he went into business competition with was an Aqualung guy, I'm pretty sure. That son of a bitch. So when, when Don left, because, you know, uh, <laughs> as the story goes, uh, Don wanted like a nickel raise or something from his brother. <laughs> and, his, and his brother said no. Holy so said, shit. Well, screw you. I'm just going to go open up my own shop then. So he went like almost across the street, opened up a shop. and Did, uh, He destroyed his, him. Well, yeah. So, and, uh, so his brother was so content on trying to put his little brother out of business that he would sell gear cheaper than don could buy it but like who was making so little money but just to spite his brother you know uh it basically put himself out of business and years later don would be the surviving shop there but he was uh i think he had trouble getting aqualung at first because his brother had it across the street so he was a voight guy very interesting it's a, uh, I mean just the story right there two brothers compete the competition is so stiff and the the one is so tight with money that he's willing to risk the relationship brothers relationship that's oh, crazy destroy they yeah every time don's brother's name came up he would just fume <laughs> with anger that's uh <laughs> came a, oh, a lifelong a lifelong battle well, don't you find that in, in areas where people have passion, uh, you know, those emotions run deep. And oh, right. They will destroy a relationship, or they can build a super strong relationship. You can use it either way. But, uh, and money, and then you throw money into the mix, right? So you, 
obviously Don, I, I know personally Don from your stories, especially uh, he was super passionate about scuba diving. So I imagine his brother probably was if they went into this business together. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you got that passion. And then you have, of course, the uh, oldest passion, money. Well, this is a story about Voight. And it incorporates <laughs> politics, religion, sex, and as we're, as we're scuba learning, diving. Every, everything does. <laughs> exactly. You know, my first regulator was a Decor 960 XLP. You... It was the one that had, it was that big, giant brass first, first stage. stage. That first that stage. Had the, that James. had the swivel turret, the, yes. the single swivel turret up oh, on the top. Oh, it was just the single one. It didn't have yeah. the, the dual. What was the dual model? That was the extreme. That came in the uh, oh, it was extreme. Right. That came in like the mid nineties. With a, I, I had the little orange, oceanic omega two octo, yeah. the side mm-hmm. breather octo. On yes, there. I think and I had one later, of those. I later upgraded that second stage, that octopus second stage, to Amare's MR twelve three second stage. Okay, because that was the choice regulator. Back in your day when you bought it, I mean, mm-hmm. we sold more Mari's MR twelve threes than yeah. I, I think any damn shop in the world. Well, they're all over the place. If you go on online to eBay, you type in vintage regulator, you know, vintage single hose regulator, you're gonna pull up a shit ton of the Mari's MR twelve threes. But that Mari's MR twelve three was. You know, evolved from the Voight, the Voight Swim Master, you know, Titan II, which, you know, uh, then they had the, the MR-12, the MR-12-2, and then what later became like a benchmark regulator in the, the 80s and 90s was that MR-12-3, which mm-hmm. would later evolve into the, uh, the the Voltrex and then ultimately the Abyss, no, the old which Voltrex. is like the old benchmark uh you know still today from from mares but with the ruby back in the day the it seat. was the <laughs> yeah, yeah then then yeah the marketing would just go through the roof but back in the day back in the 1950s voight was a classic two-hosed regulator and it was the choice regulator of television scuba diving icon mm. Mike Nelson. Yes. I have a couple posters. Old Lloyd Bridges. Lloyd Bridges? Lloyd Bridges. Lloyd Bridges. Quien es más macho? Lloyd Bridges. Ricardo Montalban. Lorenzo Lamas. Quien? (laughs) Bridges. Bridges. Lamas. (laughs) (laughs) Bridges, Bridges, see. You don't remember the old game show, Kienis oh, yes. Macho? Yes, oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But make, make it go away. Kienis Mas Macho. And there's a, there's a good old classic movie from the mid-50s called Underwater, starring the sexy and seductive. Jane Russell. See, I told you we'd get to the sex part. Dude, I might have a poster of this because I have a Jane Russell in scuba gear poster. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. Uh It's um, froze. I mean, the you there? I'm there. Is that me or you? 
Uh, yeah, you're frozen on my end, too. Are you there? Um, I'll hang up. And... I... Hold on for technical difficulties. Holding on for technical difficulties. Speakers are low. Connected and secure. My Wi-Fi looks good. Connecting. No internet connection. What the fuck? Yo. Yo, are you there? Yeah, yeah, you yeah, that, okay? Yeah, that was weird. My yeah. I mean it was storming pretty crazy here a few you know, a few minutes ago. Yeah. I don't know if oh, something okay. got wet or weird or what the hell happened, but got wet and weird. It got wet and weird. <laughs> That's the way I like it. It's <laughs> <laughs> not even that, uh, <laughs> that's how uh that's how I ended up married. <laughs> I got four kids. <laughs> I think we've been on a trend with our show here, at least yeah, the last Yeah, couple. we have. We got to clean our act up, man. Yeah, so when I was a, a kid at the shop, the, the MR-12-3 was the, the sought-after regulator. I believe it. I believe it's a, a good one. I distinctly remember my old one, you know, back in classic um, late 80s, early 90s scuba diver regalia with that plastic hose wrap like wrapped around the the hoses to identify mm-hmm. each hose you know i had a blue hose wrap going <laughs> down my going down my my primary nice i you know i had the the orange hose wrap going down to my octo i had the uh the green one i think going down my pressure gauge to my oceanic Data Master Two dive computer, that uh, old, the old hockey stick looking. Yeah, Ooh, that was a, that yeah, one? that was a big old beast. Yeah, yeah, one of those early air integrated computers. Dude, you were pretty high tech for uh, you know for the time. I was uh, I was kind of a big deal at sixteen years old. <laughs> you were young and cocky, weren't you? <laughs> like, get out of my way. Do you see what I'm diving here? Look at this. I'll be I'll be <laughs> fine if there's any problems. This state of the art computer is just going to beep at me. <laughs> what gradient factors do you? <laughs> is there a way to make it more conservative? I went from I went from that Data Master two to remember Techna. Yeah, Techna had that dive computer, the Computech. It was the size of a lunchbox. <laughs> <laughs> And it it was so big, but the numbers were so tiny. They were like the size of a number on a a Casio watch, you know, the the, the digital LC. But there's so many graphics, like, onto the faceplate of this computer. That was the one that it basically had, like, a picture of a scuba tank with these pixels. And as you breathe, (laughs) the pixels would get lower and lower and lower. Yeah. To show you that you were running low on air, your your tank was getting low. Right. It was multilingual. They had a picture of a of like a stick figure guy that would do the opposite. It would build up pixels, showing that you were getting more and more nitrogen load. (laughs) Oh, where we've where we've come to. Yeah. Well. Yeah, technology moved pretty fast, and really, if you think about it, it was kind of a blink of an eye. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, and for such a, a small demographic uh, in the technology world, or a small 
you know, share of uh, the technology market. The, and what I'm talking of is the scuba world. Um, we've moved pretty quick. I mean, we have some pretty, pretty neat stuff. You have to, you have to put that um, squarely on the shoulder uh, of what I would say, anyway, of tech diving. The popularity of tech diving has kind of motivated the rapid increase in technology for, for divers, at least to a great it's, degree. Yeah, well, especially for the last 20 years, what's, what's right, occurred. that's what I mean. I yeah. mean, and for 10 of that was a major fight. And then oh. the, the last 10 has yeah. been a realization that... Mm-hmm. When you watch them copy you. Uh, when you watch yeah, them copy, yeah, that's... The yeah, thing. well, you... Don't do this, don't do this for 10 years. And then... Let us do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, what the fuck? How about no? <laughs> no, you seem to have fucked up recreational pretty damn good. How about you just stay the hell away from our, our beloved technical diving? And, see, enter religion. <laughs> Jesus said, let there be a long hose. During the early 1950s, The embryonic American recreational scuba diving market started to rapidly expand, Brando. I believe it. The first and most widely produced scuba units were those of the U.S. Divers Company based in Los Angeles, California. The company had the benefit of being allied to the French company La Spirotechnique, which held the patents for the Cousteau-Gagnon Aqualung that was introduced into the American market in 1948. Yeah, it also had the benefit of being associated with Cousteau, the man himself, who also happened to be, you know, on television promoting scuba diving and and saving, well, he wasn't so much promoting saving the uh, Earth, Earth's ocean back then. Yeah, a lot of people don't, understand fully that aqualung what we know of it today originally was a product that was created that later became the mother company of what people saw in the united states of u.s divers for a long time and then it was only a couple of decades ago that they basically left the u.s divers moniker and went back to the original name of Aqualung. Right. U.S. Divers shit was good, too. I mean, that was good stuff. Yeah. I shouldn't say shit. U.S. Divers equipment was good stuff. Yeah, good, classic, American, robust scuba gear. This is from an article in the Journal of Diving History. It recounts that at a time, the sport of spearfishing was already established, and some of the masks and fins used in that sport were being manufactured by Voigt Company and their clients, Owen Churchill and the CNET Company. And as the sport began to grow, Voigt became more engaged and would eventually produce a series of regulators and other equipment to challenge U.S. divers' dominance. Voigt's rise to the prominence would not come through super salesmen, but through a Hollywood actor and a television show called Sea Hunt. Lloyd Bridges. Lloyd Bridges. 
¿Qué es más macho? <risa> ¿Qué es más macho? ¿Ula Jamesy? ¿O Ula Brando? ¿Qué es más macho? Es <risa> Jamie. 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 James. Jamie. ¿Ola Jamie? ¿Ola Jamesy? Bernardo. Bernardo. So yeah, this is a pretty cool little story um, written by Ed LaRochelle for the Journal of Diving History. And I guess in a way, it does start to explore that political, religious question that you were jokingly bringing up philosophically. But in a way, it's like, what is, you know, being a diver mean to you and a lot of people use you know gear brand identity True. to to show that belief right yeah well i mean that's the uh that's the dream of the marketing people <laughs> is that you you do you do identify yourself with that brand and i mean that's why they spend so much money on psychology and experiments and and uh marketing period advertising marketing because they know it drives purchases and that is all up in the old noggin which we know politics religion and sex are always churning up there right so there there are heavy motivators for things so you can use those uh motivations tap into them if you will if you're a marketer and make people literally you're you're making people buy your product by tapping into those primal areas right you know what you as a human being you know ultimately you know believe in Mm -hmm. to your core has has really just been planted in you with with marketing yes at at the very subconscious level i mean we know for a fact that the human being makes their decision almost solely on subconscious influences they don't even know why they're making the decision. We know this, that the subconscious influences play the, the lion's share of uh, factors in, that go into making a decision. So when they are subconsciously tapping into your head on the idiot box or in magazines or online, uh, yeah, yeah, they can, they can get you to buy their shit and you don't even know why. You think you're buying it. Because oh, this is this is the best one out there. But you're uh, you may not be doing that. There's a number of factors, like I say, unconsciously that go into your decision making on what you buy. Which is which is why when you look at what Voigt was doing, so when the, when they're going to want to build this regulator, they knew then that the only way we're going to have a chance is we have to get this in the mind subliminally. Of the divers, what would JC wa- do? And we yeah. we want yeah we want to get them, you know, because anybody that's you know a huge fan of Jacques Cousteau in the day is looking at what he's wearing, and wants to wear that, right, right, you know, which is exactly why all these big companies have the big name sports stars in their shoes. Exactly, it's archetype driven. It's like I say, it's very deeply psychological. And, and subconscious at the very root of our primal mental being. Yeah, which gets us to today on things like Facebook and 
Instagram and the, the world of the world of the influencers that are yeah. out there, right? They're trying to get a piece of that pie because the 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 revenue stream is so enormous and vast today to mm-hmm. to tap into just little nuggets of exploitation of this product, this product, this product. Right, right. But back in the day, back in the fifties, everybody was going to watch the new film that came out. Yeah, you know, it was a big deal. And to have your product on the superstar that's on the screen every week of the hit show mm-hmm. wearing your gear boom is what ultimately would drive you know a company like Voight up yeah. to competitor status compared to US divers at the time that was worth literally worth millions to just have Lloyd Ridges wear your scuba gear that you manufactured your brand name I think they were just starting to learn some of that I think you know you you, you look into like what Bernays had to say about the media and things. Edward Bernays had a lot to say about, you know, the the media. That was kind of his specialty. The the subconscious influence of the media and you know uh, what's brought to mind is that that movie Network. Did you ever see that movie Network? It's from the 70s. Uh but it's no. very very um insightful. Uh and there's a famous line in it about People, you know, there's a newscaster who gets on and he tells people, what the fuck are you doing? Turn off this box. This box is the most dangerous thing man has ever created. It dictates your life. It will make you kill, love, hate, blah, blah, blah. He goes, anyway, I'm, I am, I'm butchering his speech a little bit, but the idea of it was get out and live your life. Stop watching this box because this is way too powerful and it will be used against you. And that's uh, Edward Bernays, but he wasn't like it'll be used against you. He was uh, telling the major powers this media can be used to control the world, basically to control everyone's minds. And uh, yeah, that's kind of what it did. So knowing that, and when they they actually actually started doing that, placing products in TV shows, and the sales would boom, would go through the roof depending on the characters using them. You know, even the cigarette brands and whatnot, you know. All the all you had to do was have, you know, like Marcus Welby MD smoking camels. And I, I'm I don't know if he smoked camels or not. I'm using that as an example, right? But you get the idea is the the T V show people knew the power of this. So yeah. Good stuff. Like who had ever heard of Reese's Pieces candies until ET un- until the movie <laughs> ET came out right and then everybody uh-huh. like and that was uh you know I remember hearing like that being like a big deal hmm. of getting that candy into that movie oh yeah I mean you can go you can go through the history of television and and just see the brands that were nothing that were really unknown until that and and match up the debut of that show and that character and that brand being used with the spike in sales. And it's just like uh, names, even names, you know. So funny you kind of bring this up. I'm redoing my deck. spent a lot of time at Lowe's. There's three Brandons that work there. Every time I go in, I see a Brandon. And, you know, obviously I strike up a conversation. Hey, my name's Brandon. I don't never saw too many was when I was a kid, you know, and they're he's talking, yeah. 
there's a few now. There's a few now, and uh, he one brought up the the fact that in the '90s was when it spiked the name Brandon, and the reason it spiked was because of 90210, uh, the television show. So you can see that even characters on a television show, oh right, right, will influence. Like I say, it's subconscious. Some people probably didn't even know why they were picking the name for their child, but it was unconscious. Right, because all those girls that were getting knocked up by their loser boyfriends, they were just dreaming of good old Brandon Walsh from 90210. <laughs> I don't know. Let's name him Brandon. Brandon. Hey, well, it's a good name. It's done me well. Although I'm not a big fan of watching everybody else have my name. <laughs> my name. It's my name, goddammit. Um, I've got this uh, little story here. Um where, interestingly enough, the script in E.T. originally called for the little kid Elliot to scatter M&M's instead but, of Reese's Pieces. So, but what happened? I'm curious now about the story. Well, again, the flip side of this, the the company, Mars, Mars Candy, right. didn't want to be associated... <laughs> With aliens and, and nonsense like that. So they were like, no, no, you, you don't have permission to use our oh. product. Mars, of all of all companies, Mars didn't want to Fucking be associated with, alien, with, with aliens, you know? So you got to wonder who made that decision and if they were fired. They were like, immediately, you're done. You, if you couldn't see the value Oh, could you? Could you remember, like, uh, as a kid, I mean, there was... Eat, you know, E.T. Yes, cereal, Reese's Pieces, yeah. cereal, everything uh-huh. like uh, just went out. It was of, everywhere. Could, yeah, that's nuts. That's nuts to to look at that decision and go, "Oh my God, you're an idiot!" You, if you're going to make decisions like this, you're gone. Right, which is why you know today anybody who's doing anything in the public eye, these companies know today that we need them in our yeah. product. Well, and even it needs bad to be obvious. Yeah, there's no such thing as bad publicity, really. You know, it, <laughs> is the thing. If it's out there, whether it's associated with you know Satan which, himself or <laughs> which, by the way, hang on, let me check the time on my brand new, just delivered Rolex <laughs> Rolex Submariner that uh, just Look came that. to us. That oyster pearl case. <laughs> It is the choice of professionals because you need a watch that you can take down to 10,000 10, atmospheres or whatever the hell it goes to. <laughs> no, people. I am not wearing a Rolex. Not yet. Not, not yet. Not, <laughs> their, their sponsorship <laughs> should be coming through any day, though, I think. A couple of big donors. We get a couple of big donors. We'll, we'll get our uh, commemorative 10-year... TGDP Rolexes. Let's work towards that. Let's see if we can get a, a GoFundMe for this, for Rolexes for the Great Die Podcast, guys. Who's with me? Yeah, let's get this going. Maybe Rolex would be like, hey, we need to give these guys a couple of uh, custom-made Rolexes in the TGDP custom colors. Because our blue is known now as TGDP Blue. I don't know if you know that. I know we said that we would never sell out to those corporate giants. But for that one, I would. 
Yeah, if Rolex not came out, it's the, the only way. It's, it's the only way I'm getting a Rolex. It's a high quality uh, product, and I believe in it. <laughs> Everybody should have one. Yes, or two. If you're not diving a Rolex, you're not a diver. Order yours today at Rolex.com forward slash TGDP. <laughs> And you'll receive Tell 10% them James off. Tell Brandon sent you. <laughs> in 1951, Brandon. I'm listening. American divers got their first national publication dedicated to recreational diving. The Skin Diver magazine. Oh, yeah. And Voight took out an advert in it. Nice. Although the Skin Diver primarily contained articles on spearfishing, Scuba diving would soon eclipse that sport as the prime content and focus of the magazine. This scuba content preached the scuba sermon to the choir, but the bigger market was the congregation, the American general public. The new sport engaged this congregation via articles in the mainstream media and early books, such as Diving to Adventure and The Silent World, but to a much wider extent by movies and TV shows from Hollywood. The 1956 movie Underwater, starring Jane Russell, and television's Kingdom of the Sea, featuring Zale Perry, both featured Voight products. But it was Lloyd Bridges, starring as Mike Nelson in TV's Sea Hunt, that pushed Voight to the front of the pack. And that was the quintessential scuba show when when I was growing up. Like, it's what all the instructors talked about and all dreamed of being Mike Nelson. Even in the the 1980s, late 80s when I was going through, into the early 90s, all these guys, it was their grow-up show. You know, they they dreamed of being Mike Nelson, which is what got them into scuba diving, which later is why they became, you know, instructors to just have that persona. Right. And I think that's a a good part of what these companies are trying to do is is let you live vicariously through through these big people with their products. Of course. Well, the idea is their products are the key to achieving these adventures which is, again, tapping into primal, primal urges in a, in a human mind, both you know, male and female. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I thought for sure I would be able to slam dunk a basketball just like Michael Jordan as soon as I finished lacing up those Air Jordans, man. You put on your airs and you act real cool, right? You had to have Air Jordans. <laughs> if you were on the basketball court at well, yeah, nine were, years old. like They're in lyrics to songs back then, dude. They're on TV. You had actors, you know, famous actors wearing them, athletes wearing them. And, of course, Michael, one of the greatest ball players of all time, had his own goddamn brand. And look how much they paid him for it. And I'm sure they made a huge profit. Oh, yeah, no kidding. That's advertising, man. And like I say, Bernays knew that. Bernays was no stranger to the human psyche and psychology and, and tapping into no. this. He was, uh, his uncle was Sigmund Freud, for that matter. I mean, he, he was a big name in psychology. Right. He was 
referred to as the father of public relations. Yes. Edward Bernays. He was the father of PR. Edward Bernays is why when you go to the diner for breakfast, you think of ham and eggs. Ham and eggs, yeah. Yeah, as the classic American breakfast. It's it's not that it is the classic American breakfast. It was marketed to you, mm-hmm. and we all bought into it for decades. But it was Edward Bernays as a public relations marketing genius who got a contract with the Beech Nut Packing Company who wanted him to help them raise their pork sales. Yeah, you, you do realize also he's responsible for, you know, tobacco, cigarette. He he worked for major tobacco. <laughs> he pushed that with the, that's why, you you know, I don't know if he's directly responsible for, like, the Marlboro, Mar, Marlboro Man or not, but he is indirectly responsible for it. I think he started with uh, Chesterfield cigarettes, if you remember those. Well, he was the one that kind of got women during the suffragette movement buying into a, a new client of his, Virginia Slims. Yeah, if you if and, you do some reading on old Bernays. Oh, yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. CIA? Torches, torches of freedom, they, yes. they, would, they would call those little cigarettes. And he, mm. was, he was the one that basically sold the idea of putting fluoride into our water. Yes. Back in the day, to to get us to believe that that it's made good for sense. your teeth, man. It's good for your teeth. Now, n- never mind that it's a waste product from aluminum manufacturing that it would have cost the aluminum manufacturers during the war millions and millions of dollars to dispose of properly, while they could sell it to communities and put it in your water, and um, it will it will strengthen your teeth is the selling point. But never mind that if you read your toothpaste, if you swallow one drop, you're supposed to call the poison control center. <laughs> right, right. Okay? But you're putting it in your mouth and spitting it out. <laughs> it's okay. Anyway. It's amazing. Like, the the, the power of influence is... Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's all around us all the time, which I, I think is why it's so easy to, to forget. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, it's why, like, everybody, you know, on Instagram is, is trying to, like, score some <laughs> score some deal yeah. that they can just, like, take a picture shaking their ass. And, uh, you know, yeah. that's my job is taking pictures of myself. Oh, yeah. There's so many of these people. But, I mean, ultimately. Don't forget it, the hashtag. How? Hashtag fucking... Great Die Podcast. <laughs> I'm glad we haven't sold out, and I'm hoping people are starting to realize we won't sell out. How shallow is that? How? That's kind of where we go a little bit with with all of this, right? The, yes. The politics of, you know, the type of regulator I'm using. Am I diving a, a piston regulator versus a diaphragm regulator? I mean, those were those were religious debates in the in the '90s. Do do people still yeah, were, uh, argue, they, James? Oh yeah, because I mean, you're either you know, you're a piston or you're a diaphragm. Yeah, you, I mean, you're. <laughs> a, I mean, it wasn't until less than a decade ago that you know, Scuba Pro, which was classically yeah, piston piston only regulator, yeah. designed an apexy version 
mm-hmm. so that they could have that same thing in their line with their branding. Because at the time, it was either you're one way or you're or the, the other way. way. You believe in this or you believe in that. Well, and then through marketing and influence, it's like, well, we can get both sides of these purchases. Well, yeah. Well, here's I'm going to I'm going to throw a few things out here that that idea is you're one or the other that that false dichotomy always is is being presented to you. I mean, this is part of what uh, Bernays goes into. You got to be one or the other. It always reminds me of that George Bush speech. You're either with us or you're with the terrorists, kind of thing. It's like, oh, hold on. Well, maybe I'm I'm neither. As I don't know if I want to be with you guys because I don't know if you're telling me the truth. I'm definitely not with the terrorists. I'm somewhere in the middle. That's most people with most things. But when it's presented to you as if you are this or this, you can't be. You know, that's the whole idea of political parties. You're this or this. That's all you can be. And you have to buy in for the whole party, man. You have to do the whole thing, right? Yeah. It's a false dichotomy. That's how, that's how they yeah. get you. Well, if you get into critical thinking, any arguments on critical thinking, most arguments are uh, the fallacy is the false dichotomy presented to you. And you can immediately disclude the argument. You can prove it wrong by showing your premise is off. Your premise is fucked. It's a false dichotomy. Well, yeah, especially when the the underlying premise is money. Well, yeah, there's always this underlying psychological, you know, they tap, like, again, Bernays said it, They in Freud and all of these psychologists from tapping into the human mind trying to figure out what makes us tick and knowing that it's all unconscious, it's all subconscious, or the, the gears are turning in the background and... and that's what's influencing your decision-making process, thus creating the experiences in your life which shape your mind further and your choices of what you buy, purchase, and participate in. Yeah, they, they knew this, so they presented it that way, and it's all tapped on those, those greed and sex are huge, right? Money and sex. Right. It's a huge, huge motivator. I don't know. Is there anything else? There's, it, it would, I, I know there's other things, and that's the problem is— Society has used greed and sex as the motivator because those are the things money and, and hot men or women, you know, on your side to make you look good. That's that's what's put on a pedestal in society versus being a, an ethical, moral, good human being who leaves the world a better place when you go. We don't teach that. That's not that's not put on a pedestal in the world. Hey, this is why I drink Coke, not Pepsi. <laughs> Because I get all that. My wife loves Coke, and that's, she's a hot chicken. And that's what, what it took to get her. The popularity and influence of the Sea Hunt series and comic books ensured that Voight products would eventually become collector's items. And Voight scuba regulators undoubtedly now have the second largest following of collectors, with U.S. divers regulators being the first. Much is already well documented about the Voight two-hose regulators and Basic Scuba by Fred Roberts, and in articles published in Skin Diver magazine. Today, many collectors share information via email, and there are discussions on internet threads and blogs. Many collectors display their collection of Voight regulators on personal websites, which often supply additional information on Voight history. All this information helps preserve Voight's history and gives future Voight researchers and collectors great resources. And then the author goes into a full article about 
you know, his research into the Voigt regulator line back in the early days of this early double hose regulator. It's kind of interesting looking at uh, like what and how that scuba company grew from a company that just like made some rubber products, mm-hmm. got into uh, access to that Cousteau Gagnon Aqualung patent that they got to like doctor up a little bit to get their own version of, and then bam. They've got a couple uh, competing products. They, they get it thrown in the right place. It just explodes in popularity because it's got a new look, a cool look. It's got the cool, sexy people wearing it. Recipe for uh, success there, at least financial success. Yeah, yeah. Loving it. And um, we're never going to have enough time to get into all of this today because... No, no. We just went off the rails about <laughs> about Edward Bernays and why you have fluoride in your water. How the hell did we uh, get off off so far off top? Wow. But it was fun. That was a fun side one. But I, and then we had the uh, my internet crash because of the storms we're having, so yeah. we're delayed. So we're gonna have to make this a multi part, people. No worries. And I would I would offer out that we didn't go too far off topic. That this. What we did bring up, A, is it's uh, incorporated into anything, but it's really out there in the scuba world, and especially during the early days. And it may have been done maybe a little bit accidental, but I'm not going to give them that credit, I or I'm not going to give them that lack of credit. I'm going to say they kind of knew what they were doing when they associated Lloyd Bridges with, with their brand and um, old Jacques Cousteau, Got on board with U.S. divers. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's very much different than when you had just like an independent company, like come out of nowhere, you know, somebody you know, starting to make their own product. They are doing it because they love it, and they organically build a new product that catches right. on. Versus this is different. You know, mm-hmm. an- another interesting company would to look into – would be like decor back in the day, mm-hmm. you know, of like Sam Davidson just building, building some scuba gear. These guys, you know, they went in it not to just hope somebody buys their new regulator. Like they saw an opportunity of we're going to put it in the front of everybody's faces and we're going to make mm-hmm. a big deal and a, a, a big deal about it and a big deal of cash. Mm-hmm. But this mm-hmm. was the early growth days. Of scuba. Good stuff, Jamesy. Good topic again. Fun. Well, let's um, let's hold it here, and we'll we'll take a multi-part episode and see where this one takes us. This could be a really fun... I told you this was going to be a different... I like it. Different topic for yeah. us. Let's and, drop uh, a... Go ahead. So I, I told you this was going to be a, a, a different type of a show... I don't know where it's going to take us. I wasn't expecting to to get into Reese's Pieces and fluoride in the water so quick, so quickly, but we got there somehow. I guarantee you, we're the only scuba podcast that is in production that's today. Doing that. that's gone off on these rails. Good rails to be on. I think they're they're relevant. I think uh, James that. Bringing bringing it into scuba, bringing regular everyday life and, and how we arrived where we're at with some things 
and showing the background of that and showing how it, it is in scuba. It's the same thing in scuba. I think that's that's very relevant to the Great Dive Podcast. Listeners, I think they need to know that. I think so, too. I mean, what do you think, people? Would you rather us sit here and talk to you about the splendid toadfish? Yes. Although the splendid toadfish is beautiful and it's an incredible creature, we could go into the, the, the you know minutia of description, and hopefully they can paint this elegant picture in their head. But it wouldn't be the did same. You know, did you know back in 1951, <laughs> the S.C. Johnson <laughs> Wax Corporation moved all the splendid toadfish specifically to the island of Cozumel for the sake of promoting scuba diving? Wow. <laughs> My <laughs> and, equals uh, blown. And creating a market to sell scuba pro regulators on the island of Cozumel. Smart. Smart business. You can read that whole story at Infowars.com. <laughs> <laughs> Infowars. Is that, is that even around anymore? I thought... I I thought uh... All right, everybody. Hey, let's drop a stage. Don't, let's drop our stage. Drop a stage bottle. We're not, don't we're, sign we're these logbooks, people. We're going to get back to the story of Mike Nelson's choice regulator, the Voigt Swimmaster. Oh, this and is going to be good. of that uh, two-hose regulator coming up. I... Uh, Hope you uh, enjoyed this episode. It's going to be a good one, James. Yeah, fun stuff. All right, everybody. See ya. We'll hear you next week. No, you'll hear us next week. How's that? Hear you later, everybody. Hear you later. No, talk to you later. said i should do the, the almighty lord came down with a a burning sea urchin a burning anemone a burning uh fire coral underwater spoke to me he said thou shalt create thy long hose <laughs> <laughs>